0: We're in Ephesians chapter 4. Last week we started the, the chapter, got halfway through. Uh, Paul is talking about um, the, the walk of a believer. And the, when we say walk, we're talking about uh, an actual the, the lifestyle, how a believer lives and, and how they conduct their life. And he says, walk worthy of your calling. So again, leading up to this, it's a lot of theology, a lot of what Christ has done for us our identity all these things that are true about us because of christ that he has given us these things he has given us a new identity that we are redeemed We're, we're 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 justified and we have a righteous standing before god we have an inheritance that's waiting the holy spirit is is sealed us and all of these all of these things that are true about our identity paul's saying in light of that, now walk and live in a way that, that is equal to that. We talked about the word worthy. It had to do with weights, about a, a weighted scale where you have, he's saying not, not walk worthy, like earn, earn favor with God. He's saying, no, you have favor. So now live in a way that matches that. Live in a way, live in a way that is, is true of your identity of who you are in Christ. He talks about having unity and the importance of that within the church be humble and and walk in 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 preferring other people and and have an attitude of charity and love endeavoring to keep the unity is what he said and the word endeavoring means to make every possible effort for unity and man that's such an important message for for the church and again i think we as a church we get that we understand that and i love the unified spirit of our church where We're not looking to pick at everything that could possibly divide us. We are making every effort to be unified. And I was talking to several pastors. One pastor in particular said he's never seen the church so divided as now. Never seen the church so divided. Just really over just all the politics, over over COVID. Just there's so much that the church wants to divide over. And how unfortunate that that is right? As a church, now's the time to be unified. Now's the time to show charity and love preferring others. And, and, and as a church, like we have to understand that we have to be unified. Paul says, be unified because look, you're, you're one. We we have so much in common in Christ. You're, you, you have all this, all these reasons to be unified because there's one, one body, there's one spirit, the Holy spirit. You're called in one hope of your calling. We, we are united in Christ. There's one Lord and one faith, one baptism, one God, the Father of all. So he's saying, look, as a church, you're united. You're one. But there's also diversity in that unity. God equips us all differently. God gives you certain gifts and, 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 and it equipped you in a way that you can help edify, help build up the church, help serve the church. In a way, maybe the person next to you, they're gifted differently, and that's okay. We can celebrate that, and we can recognize we all have a different gift, all different role, but, but yet we're one, we're united, we're one family. Then in verse 17, that's what we're going to pick up today. Paul says, this I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord. He's saying that you, you henceforth, that you no longer walk or, or live, as other Gentiles, or when it says Gentiles, he's referring to the non-believing world. He says, don't live as the Gentile. Don't, don't walk and live your life according to non-believers in the vanity or the futility of their mind. Having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. So saying, look, unbelievers are living a certain way because they're blinded. They're walking in the futility, the emptiness, the vanity of their minds. So what we, we see this, right? We see this lived out. We see people, we're not saying that they're dumb, not saying they're, they're not intellectually smart. Like there's people that are, are brilliant. They have brilliant minds, but yet they cling to and hold to a worldview that is absolutely absurd. They hold to a worldview that that's really comes down to a lot of more superstition and magic because they believe that the world is the way it is just because it's that's just how it is, right? Right? They would never be satisfied if a Christian said that we believe the world is the way that it is because God created it that way. They would never be satisfied with that answer. But their answer is, well, it's just because. That's just the way that it is. They believe everything has just happened by by chance, time and chance, right? Matter in in, in motion. And and it's just the way it happened. And they have no foundation and no reason, no justifiable answer for why we have things like the laws of logic, why we have things like absolute morality. They have no justification for why. They're brilliant. They have many times high IQs. But yet they cling to a worldview that's absurd. How do we understand that? How how do we explain that? Well, because they're they're walking in in blindness. Spiritually speaking, they're in darkness. And so we don't I don't say that in a derogatory way. I say that is that helps us understand how you can have someone just brilliant, but yet they cling to a worldview that doesn't make sense, that's futile. Goes on, he says that they're they're callous, they're past feeling they've given themselves unto lasciviousness or 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 filthiness and uncleanness to work out all uncleanness and greediness he's saying that and we by the way we see this in Romans 1 where we see people with just a reprobate mind that have a mind of people that have rejected God and turned from God and, and they live in a way where just their mind is reprobate, where where every they, they, they can take and twist everything and make it into into something filthy and some sexual innuendo and everything their Their mind is just corrupt. Right. They can't even they can't even think. Right. Why? Because they're blind. They're blind to spiritual truth. And they're walking and working all uncleanness. But he says, but you have not so learned Christ. He's like, that's not how you've learned Christ. If so be you've heard of him, have been taught I am as the truth in Jesus. In other words, he's saying, you've been taught better though. You know Christ. Your life is different, not because of anything good in you on your own. It's what Christ has done in you. Amen. That's the difference. And he says, put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new man. So you're taking off the old, putting on the new, right? You get up in the morning, hopefully you take off your pajamas, all right? Sometimes that's not always the case, but put on, put on clothes. So you're taking one thing off, putting on something is a picture of when when we meet Christ, right? We're taking off, we're, we're turning from sin and, and turning to faith in Christ And so we have new life in Christ. The picture when we come to know Christ as our Savior. But it's also a picture of the daily sanctification as a believer, right? We're saved, we're justified the moment we trust Christ as our Savior, we are justified. We have a righteous standing before God. We're sealed by the Spirit of God, amen? What a wonderful truth that that is. But God is also actively working in our lives to make us more like him. Not saying that we, we become a God, but it's saying we're, we're becoming more like Christ in the sense of who he wants us to be. And that's a daily thing that we see in our lives. And so it's a daily conscious decision to, to surrender to what the Holy Spirit is leading right, and to deny the things that that old self wants to do. So he's saying, look, as a believer, your walk should be different. Put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So as again, a picture of not, not us in our own power doing these things. It's not, it's not just washing off some of the dirt from the outside. It's a change of heart. It starts from inward, right? And then it works outward. There's a change of heart that then results in how we live. We're going to walk a different way. We're going to live a different way because we're a new creature. We've put off the old, put on the new. And he says, now here's going to be a result of of this. Wherefore, put away lying. Speak every man the truth with his neighbor. Instead of speaking lies, you're going to speak truth. We're members one of another. Be angry and sin not. There's a time where yes, you're going to be angry, but don't allow that ang- anger to turn into bitterness and harbor in harbor in your heart. Be angry, but don't sin. And then we see this phrase: "Let not the sun go down on your wrath." You've heard the expression like "Don't go to bed angry." You heard that? Well, that's where this is where that comes from, right? In other words, don't allow that anger to 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 to, to stay in your like. Deal with it, right? Don't allow that bitterness to build up within. Be angry, sin not. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Why? Because in doing that, we, we, we give place to the devil. It says, don't give place to the devil. Don't give the devil a foothold. Don't give the devil opportunity to come in and destroy you and allow bitterness to destroy your heart. Verse 28, but let him that stole steal no more. But let him labor, working with his hands, the thing which is good that he may have to give him that needeth. So the person that was a thief, that's how they live. That's how they, they made a living. That's just how they operated. He's saying, let him, don't, don't let him steal any longer, but rather let him earn a living through his labor. And instead of taking from people and stealing from people, let him be Generous and give to people in need see that's another example the change that christ brings the change that jesus makes in a person's heart and life where they they turn from the sin not in a a, perf- a perfect way where they never sin and never struggle with sin anymore but it's no they have a new th- th- their lifestyle is changed right it's it starts from the inside it works itself out so the person that lied no longer lie but speak truth the person that stole Let him not steal anymore, but labor for his wealth, and then let him give to those that have need. Verse 29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying or building up, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. So our words that we speak should be words that are filled of grace and building people up. And by the way, just so you know, this would apply to social media as well. All right. Instead of posting things that are just always looking to to, to put people down and always looking to antagonize people. Let's not let's not do that. Let's not let corrupt words, untrue words, angry words, divisive words come out of our mouth. Right. There's a time that we need to stand for truth whether the culture and people around us like it or not we need to be firm with speaking the truth but can we make sure that when we're speaking it's with grace that we're trying to build people up instead of trying to think of how can i be the most divisive can we think of how can we build people up how can we encourage people as i was referencing to a pastor that told me it's so sad when he told me that about that he's never seen so much division in, in the church and, and in the context of what he was talking about, he's like, man, he's like, so many people in the church are angry over wearing a mask and not wearing a mask. And they're fighting about it. Like they're angry. It's like one side is like, man, you don't wear a mask. Well, you don't care about people and you don't, you don't believe in science. Like, and the other side is, well, actually, no, we do believe in science. And you look, look at the data, the, 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 the places that had the most harshest, most, most strict mask mandates. Their numbers are just as worse, if not even more worse. And he's like, there's just an arguing back and forth. Arguing back and forth as a church. Look, can we recognize the importance of being united and speaking things with grace in our heart? That doesn't mean we're going to come to the same conclusion on things. Right? Like, we're all going to have different opinions and different conclusions. And it's okay to have an opinion. It's okay to have a strong opinion. But can we just approach it with, as a way to build up And giving grace to the people in our life. And I think that that's something, no matter what context, uh, we can all admit that we could do better on. Right? Don't let corrupt communication come out of your mouth. But that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. Whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. So remember back in Ephesians 1, the Holy Spirit, He seals us when we're saved, when we're justified. The Holy Spirit is the, the down payment of the guarantee of our future inheritance. Amen. Like, man, if my salvation's up to me, I'm doomed. I will never make it, I will never achieve it. But it's not up to me. The Holy Spirit has, has saved me and sealed me, and I am a child of God. And and I am secure in Christ. I'm sealed by the Holy Spirit. But as believers, even, we can grieve the Holy Spirit that lives in us. We, we can live in a way that causes grief and we can quench the spirit. He said, so Don't don't grieve the spirit that sealed you. Don't live, don't walk in a way, don't walk in a way that's gonna cause the Holy Spirit to be grieved. He says, let all, verse 31, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, that's angry words, angry, slanderous words, and evil speaking be put away from you. Right? He's like, let, let all of those things be put away from you with, with all malice. So, malice is a wrongful, evil intention of the heart. He's saying, put those things away, and in contrast, be tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Why? Because you've been forgiven. He says, because. Because God, through Christ, has forgiven you. We can forgive the people that have wronged us. Why? Because they deserve it? No. Because it wasn't that big a deal? No. We can forgive because we have been forgiven. You know, let the bitterness be put away. In contrast, it's saying have a heart that's tender. Have a heart that's tender. You know what's so hard? It's hard to balance this. We need to have thick skin but a tender heart. And that is a really tough balance, right? Because if we have a tender, tender skin and a tender heart, like we're, we're going to be afraid to ever stand for truth, right? We're just going to blow with whichever way the wind's going. And, and we're going to be like, you know, some of these politicians that just tell, tell everybody that they're around, like what they want to hear at the time. And, and, and we're never going to stand for truth. No, we need to have thick skin, but a tender heart. Because the, the other extreme is like, man, we can be, Thick-skinned, but also have a heart that's callous. And then we don't treat people with love. And then we, then, then we become very cynical of everybody around us. And Again, there's times where we need to be cautious, right, of, of people and be discerning, especially when it comes to, like, our, our children. Like, we need to be very cautious to protect our children because there's a lot, there's an evil world and there's a lot of evil people out there. That that come They're they're wolves in sheep's clothing. And we need to be very discerning and very wise, very cautious. But you know what? On the other hand, we need to be cautious of not allowing our heart to become callous towards people. So it's important, right? Thick skin, but a tender heart. People criticize you. People say things about you. People, People, sometimes untrue things, right? It's important that we do have thick skin. Don't become so easily offended but on the other hand it's important to keep a tender heart to, towards people because it's really easy to become have a heart that's callous and bitter saying this let let bitterness be put away but be tender-hearted forgiving one another see the only alternative to forgiveness is to choose to have bitterness to have a bitter heart The book of Hebrews, it's an an, an interesting book. The book of Hebrews talks about about bitterness. And many think that Paul, who wrote this book, also wrote Hebrews. It's it's interesting. Some actually think that it's it's Luke writing a sermon of Paul's. Uh, A lot of different perspectives out there on it. But the, the reality is we know that all scripture is given, God breathed, right? So it's, it, the human author isn't as important as knowing that this is this is a states It is God breathed. God has given us his word. In Hebrew says this, it talks about bitterness. It says that it's a root. That bitterness is a root issue. It starts from within. Now many times there's symptoms you see on the outside. You see the outside, the anger, the, the clamor, right? The really loud, angry speaking and you ever experienced that where someone just goes off on you and you're like, wow, where did that come from? You know, hopefully it's not your spouse, but in some cases maybe. But where someone just, and you think, man, what did I do? I didn't even know that I did anything. I didn't know that I said anything wrong. And the reality is it could be that you didn't. But sometimes the outward sign, sometimes those outward symptoms of people, that reveals a heart of bitterness. And look, in talking with people, and I say this not as like trying to talk down, like I like I don't struggle with this because I know the same thing is true in my heart. But in talking to a lot of people, you know what I find? A lot of times people want to know, like, how do we deal with this symptom? How, how do we make this thing go away? And, and there's there, it's an important conversation, right? And we can talk through those things. But a lot of times, you know what the reality is? that we're wanting to deal with symptoms without dealing with the root issue. And, and, and we can deal with those symptoms and, and maybe they'll go away for a while, but what happens? It, it's gonna spring back up. It's gonna, because we're not dealing with the root. You know how you kill the root of bitterness? There's one way, forgiveness, forgiveness. And recognizing that I we forgive Because we've been forgiven. Now, there's sometimes there's bitterness. Sometimes there's bitterness that's not because someone's wronged you. Like, let's just be honest. Sometimes people are bitter. They think that they've been wronged. They think that they've been sinned against. But the reality is that they're just playing the victim card. You know, and maybe you've experienced that where someone's accused you of something that you didn't do. But they're so angry and they're so bitter. And that can happen. Sometimes people are bitter. James talks about there's a a bitter envying and strife in, in, in hearts. That sometimes there's bitterness in someone's heart because they're jealous or envious of things in your life. You ever have that where something good happens in your life? It may be a promotion at work or maybe a, you're expecting a child or maybe may, may, maybe you, you got a new house or a new car or, or, or something good happens with your children. And, and you would think some of the people that are around you would congratulate you and be happy, but you find that they can't celebrate with you because they have envying and jealousy towards you. And that can be a cause sometimes of bitterness. And, and so it's important to recognize we're talking about here with forgiveness when you have truly been, been sinned against and you've truly been wronged. The reality is this that every one of us have experienced that. Every one of us at some point have been sinned against by someone, and we were the innocent ones. I'm not saying that we're innocent in the fact that we've never sinned, I just mean that we were a victim of what someone has done to us. The only alternative to allowing bitterness to creep in. The only way to deal with that root of bitterness is forgiveness. It's like even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Now a lot of times people misunderstand what forgiveness is. First of all, let me say this. Forgiveness is not being an enabler. And that's important to know. Forgiving someone doesn't mean that you allow sin to happen to you. And, and that's the case. I know that Pastor Tony's going to deal, deal with, with helping those who've been abused, right, on, on Wednesday. Hope that you'll come to that or tune into that. And sometimes in those cases, sometimes a victim, a victim can think, well, I've got to forgive. And, but, but, but when they say that, it, they're just becoming an enabler. Look, if someone is harming you. If someone is harming you, harming you, you can forgive them, but you should still seek justice. You should still seek justice, right? As uh, if we understand Scripture, we're demanded to seek justice. We shouldn't enable someone to harm us or harm someone that we know, right? Don't enable that, and don't don't let someone try to pull the forgiveness card in just an effort for them to enable their own sin. That's important to understand. Forgiveness isn't enabling someone. If you're being harmed in any way, you need to, you need to seek justice. And, and if you're in a situation where you feel like you don't know how or you can't, you need to go to someone. Come to me. Come to someone that you trust and they, that can walk you through that to get out of an abusive situation. Forgiveness is not enabling. Forgiveness, you can still seek justice. Forgiveness is not just not getting mad. Like, oh, well, just don't get mad. No, sometimes anger is a, is a righteous anger. And it's a good response towards sin. And it's a good response towards injustice. So we're not saying, oh, forgiveness means you never get mad. It's saying you don't allow that, that anger to turn into a bitterness that we harbor in, in our heart. Forgiveness is not saying that the one who hurt you is right. But forgiveness is, is acknowledging that God will make it right so in forgiving someone you're not saying that what they did was okay you're saying no i'm just recognizing that god's the one who's going to make it right again in many cases we need to seek justice but sometimes here's the reality sometimes we're not going to have justice in this fallen world maybe you've experienced that you've experienced someone that's harmed you someone's lied about you someone's done things and you've sought justice And the reality is, you may not see justice here in this life. Oh, now, I understand the biblical principle of they'll reap what they sow. And many times it's here in this life. But ultimately, ultimately, God will set all things right. And forgiveness is not saying what they did was right. Forgiveness is acknowledging God will make it right. Forgiveness is not excusing someone's behavior. Forgiveness isn't excusing their behavior. Forgiveness is just preventing their behavior from destroying your heart. Because the reality is this, like, look, there's some people that they may, they may never even acknowledge or admit at what they've done. They may never do it. So forgiving them is not saying I'm excusing it. Forgiveness is saying I'm not going to allow what they've done in the past to destroy my life today. I'm not going to allow that bitterness to harbor in and destroy my life. Not excusing it, but it's preventing it from destroying your heart. Forgiveness is, is not reconciliation. Reconciliation, right, where, where the relationship is restored and made right. Forgiveness and reconciliation is, is, are two different things. And I say that because this. Reconciliation takes two. You can forgive someone... But there'll never be a reconciliation. Because as I said, in some cases, maybe the person that has harmed you, maybe the person that has slandered you, maybe the, the, the person that has abused you, maybe the, the person that has, has done horrible things to you, lied about you, they may never admit what they did. In fact, a lot of times, they'll probably blow it off and never admit it. And so until they are willing to admit that, there can't be a reconciliation, right? There, 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 there can't be a restoration. But I believe that we can still offer forgiveness. The reason I say that is because even if they don't admit it, maybe the person, that, maybe God forbid, maybe it was a parent that harmed you. Maybe it was a parent that walked out on you. Maybe the person that harmed you isn't even alive. Why I say you can, you can forgive you can forgive even if the other person is not going to ever acknowledge It's because you can't allow what someone has done who never will admit it or isn't even alive to destroy your life today. Remember Jesus on the cross. What did he say? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Again, I understand that, you know, that it's different. Christ was sinless and he understood everything perfectly and completely. But the reality is this, that we can forgive someone... And never be reconciled and in some cases in some cases maybe someone is 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 locked up for what they've done to you or what they've done to someone that you love some cases reconciliation and and restoration isn't possible and maybe isn't safe but you can still forgive without having that bitterness destroy you so how do we do that how do we forgive how do we forgive against people that have done us the most wrong, the most harm? How do we forgive the people that will never even maybe admit what they've done? How is that possible? Humanly speaking, it's not. And so I'll just be very clear. If you don't know Christ as your personal savior, you're not going to be able to forgive in this supernatural way. It's not going to make sense. Not going to be able to because it is even as God, because of Jesus, has forgiven us. We can forgive. Jesus tells it like this. So his disciples are asking him the question of how often do I forgive someone who has trespassed against me? Remember the, the story? Uh, the, 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 uh, the, the, the time when his disciples came and, and they said, should we forgive them seven times? Like how, how many times is enough to forgive? Jesus says, no, 70 times seven. What Jesus is saying is that we should constantly have a spirit of forgiveness towards people. And then he, and then he illustrates it, right? He gives the, and again, back, back to the, the first point that I made. Like, we need to be cautious. Sometimes people can take that as, oh, we become an enabler, and that's not what we're saying. But he's saying to have a spirit continually where we're willing to forgive people who've wronged us. And then he, he gives this picture. He, said, he gives a, it's called a, a parable, right? Where Jesus would tell these stories to be able to then apply a truth that he was teaching someone. And he gave this parable, the story about a man that owed a, a great debt of money, that, that he owed hundred talents. And basically this was a, um, you know, it, it, would, it would be an amount of money today that was just almost unimaginable for most. I mean, just something we could never pay, right? I mean, millions upon millions of dollars. And this man owed someone this. And in in this time, you have to understand in this culture that that, that if someone owed you money, like you could actually have them thrown into what was called debtor's prison. And they had to stay there until they could work off and pay off that debt. That was allowed. And that was something that could happen. So this man went to the person he owed all this money to and, and begged for the debt to be forgiven. And the man forgave him the debt. The man forgave him. It's canceled. The debt that you owe me is canceled. That man that was forgiven this huge sum of money then went to a man that owed him what would be equivalent of a few dollars. This man couldn't pay it. And he demanded that this man would pay him. And he had him thrown in prison and was harsh towards this man. The man that had just been forgiven all this huge debt then went to someone that owed him a small debt and refused to forgive. And can you see where the realization hits the the Christ or Jesus audience at that time when they're recognizing what he's saying is that as a follower, a believer of, of Christ. Those of us who have had our sins forgiven, our sin, our trespasses against a holy and a righteous God yet that sin through Christ has been forgiven but yet then we will go to someone else who's wronged us and not be willing to forgive he's saying that's exactly what happens when we who've been forgiven refuse to forgive and again this is a supernatural thing this is recognizing we forgive because we've been forgiven i told the story when actually we were going through these parables several years ago perhaps you've heard the account of Cory ten boom who her and her family would hide hide jews from the nazis that were trying to find them and exterminate them and they were caught hiding jews and so Cory ten boom and her sister her father were thrown uh into to pri- to prison at ravensbrook prison and they were thrown into this prison, and, and, and while there, Corrie ten Boom endured just, just tremendous pain and suffering. Her family died in that prison. By God's providence, there was a clerical error that was made, and Corey ten Boom was released. She fled back to the, the Netherlands until the war was over. And, and after the war was over, she, she went back, and she, was, she would speak at places all over all over Germany, all over Europe, and she would talk about that the, the forgiveness, the forgiveness that she was able to give towards the people that, that did so much damage to her, to her family, and, and testifying of the grace of God in her life and how that it was only because of God's grace that she could forgive the people that, that did these horrible, horrible things to her and to so many people. Well, after one of the, the, the times that she was talking... There was a man that approached her, and this man came up to her, and and, and she recognized him immediately. She knew that this man was a guard at the very prison camp where her family died, at the very prison camp where she was held captive. This man didn't recognize her. This man approached her, and he said, It's so good to hear you talk about God's forgiveness. He said, I recently have come to faith in Christ. And he said, I've done some horrible things. I was a guard at the prison and I did some horrible things. And he said, it's nice to know that God offers forgiveness. He said, it would be, it would do me good to hear it from your mouth again. Will you forgive me? And he extended his hand. Corey Ten Boom said when she was telling this story, she said that her whole body just froze. Because she was talking about forgiveness, but now she was face-to-face. She was face-to-face with the man that was responsible, partly responsible for all of the injustice, all of the horrendous things she went through, all of, of the, the, the turmoil of even her wrestling with knowing that her family died at this prison. She said she froze. She said, I talked about God's forgiveness, but now that it was right in front of me, she said, I couldn't forgive him. She said it seemed like an eternity where she froze with his hand extended out. And she said she reached forward and shook his hand. She said, I forgive you. And she said at that moment, there was a peace that flooded her. Because she recognized at that moment, that that moment she was able to truly forgive someone that caused tremendous pain and harm. She actually made a reference to Ephesians 4.32. She said, the only way it was possible is recognizing that I have been forgiven so much. I have been forgiven by a holy and a righteous God who I've sinned and trespassed against. And because I have been forgiven, I can forgive. And I ask you today, is there someone that you need to forgive? Is there someone maybe that you need to ask forgiveness? Maybe, you, maybe you're the one that has harmed someone. Maybe you're the one that, that has burned a bridge with someone. Maybe you're the one, and, and, and I know as we're approaching the holidays, with Thanksgiving and, and Christmas, as we're, we're getting together with family, and, and maybe there's, there's a lot of tense feelings, and maybe there's people that are going to be at the gathering that, that you'd rather that they weren't there. Maybe there's someone in your own family. Maybe there's someone that you need to forgive. Not based on the fact that they deserve it. Because they don't. That's why, that's why it's so difficult. Maybe it's someone that's harmed you. And again, as I mentioned, you're not saying what they did was okay. And maybe there's, there's cases where you need to pursue justice. And, and maybe you need to recognize that it's okay to pursue justice. But are you willing am i willing to offer forgiveness and i ask you this question in closing have you experienced the forgiveness that christ brings because the reality is all of us have we talked about that parable the debt the debt that 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 we owe the, the, the 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 amount of money that was so enormous you know what that's a picture of it's a picture of the debt of sin that we owe we're separated from a holy and a righteous God because of our sin. But yet God in his mercy and his love entered his own creation. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, entered his own creation, lived a righteous life, died the death we deserve to pay the debt of our sin. And he offers forgiveness. He offers that debt to be paid in full to all who will believe. And I ask you this, have you personally experienced that forgiveness in Christ? Have you personally put your faith and trust in Christ as your Lord and Savior? Because see all these things that we read about in, in Ephesians 4, 17 through 32, right? All these things, trying to do these things in your own strength, you know what it's doing? It's just like cleaning. It, it, it's, it's just like like washing off the surface. Washing off the surface when in all reality that may last, but it'll only last for so long. We need a heart transformation. We need new life that's only found in Christ. And it's not found in religious activity. It's not found through starting to coming to church on a Sunday or, 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 or trying to turn over a new leaf. We need a heart transformation. We need forgiveness that only comes through faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And I ask you this question. Have you experienced that forgiveness? Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you personally put your faith and trust in Completely in him to save you. And if not, maybe today's the day. Today's the day to just surrender to him. And recognize you can't save yourself. It is only through Jesus Christ's righteousness. It's only through the forgiveness that he offers. And maybe the reality is it's hard to forgive people. Because you haven't personally experienced that forgiveness. Even as God. For Christ's sake, because of Jesus, he's forgiven us. And because we have been forgiven much, we should be able to forgive others much.